Uh, Psalm 65. Psalm 65. wanted to try to combine some missionary thoughts with some thoughts on Thanksgiving, this being a Thanksgiving weekend. And, of course, my desire, this uh, furlough, is to come to our churches, be in our supporting churches, and say thank you for what you have done and are doing. May I say it on behalf of the Africans. It's a very moving thing, very touching thing when a man will say, I don't know where I'd be, Maruti, if you hadn't come to Africa. That's very humbling, very humbling. Of course, the only way we're able to go is the Lord calls and our church commissioned us and your church helps support us. That's a very touching, touching thing. And so uh, we're thankful for what what you have done. Uh, If you stopped right now and economically, if you weren't able to do any more, what you've done is what you could do. And we thank the Lord for that. Psalm 65, look at verse 11. The first part says, Thou crownest the year with thy goodness. Thou crownest the year with thy goodness. Let's pray. Father, thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you've done. You're worthy of praise. You're worthy of the songs that we sang. You're worthy of our worship and adoration. You're you're worthy, Father, of all that we have. And so I pray that tonight in this time as we unfold the pages of Holy Writ that we would be mindful of the God who gave the Word, the God who uses the Word, the God who blesses His Word. Uh, be honored and uplifted here tonight in this humble presentation, we pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. You know, uh, when you study the Scriptures, you find that ingratitude is the first step down a stairway from God. Glory to God and gratitude to God are twin sisters. In fact, it tells us in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 21 that glory is to be given to God in the churches. Now, this isn't necessarily part of my message, but I'm going to make it part of my message. The heathen tonight around the world are not bringing glory to God. But you see, if we can go out and see folks saved and establish churches where those believers can come together and then turn around and bring glory to God, you see, that's the desire is to see the lost person getting saved not to bring glory to us as a missionary, but to bring glory to the God who called and sends and supports the missionary. So gratitude is very important. We need to be thankful to God for what He's doing and uh, what He's going to do. Let me give you an illustration of gratitude. I think in Luke chapter 17 of those ten lepers that were cleansed. And the one returned, didn't he? And Jesus said, were there not ten cleansed? Now, do you think that Jesus asked that question because he didn't know, he couldn't count, he didn't have ten fingers, or he wasn't the Almighty God? Do you think that somehow he asked that question and says, weren't there ten cleansed, but where the nine? He's asking the question to stimulate our thinking and to, and to uh, challenge us with this thought, are we grateful for what God has done for us? Many people are not grateful. If anybody should be thankful, who should it be? (laughs) 
I mean, it ought to be to save folks. I mean, even if you don't get the crop out of the field, even if the economy never turns around, that really doesn't matter. That really shouldn't affect, that really shouldn't affect the gratitude of a Christian. We can be thankful. I mean, if we're saved, we've got the Lord, we've got life in our soul, we've got eternity to look forward to. That ought to, that ought to cause us to be thankful, even if we never uh, have anything else that this world has to offer. The Jews were to offer thanksgiving to God of their own free will. They had a thanksgiving offering, but it was not a command. It was a, if anybody wants to do this, they need to come out of their own free will. Hezekiah and Manasseh offered of their own free will, the Bible says, thanksgiving offerings. And here I want you to see tonight that the psalmist here is grateful for three matters, and a missionary ought to be grateful for the same three matters here. Consider with me, first of all, in verses 1 through the first part of verse 4. It says in Psalm 65, Praise waiteth for thee, O God, in Zion. Unto thee shall the vow be performed. O thou that, what? What's the next word? Thou that hearest prayer, unto thee shall all flesh come. Iniquities prevail against me, as for our transgressions thou shalt purge them away. Blessed is the man whom thou choosest, and causest to approach unto thee, that he may dwell in thy courts. You know what I see here? I see that this psalmist and a missionary ought to be grateful for a hearing with God. He says there, God hears prayer. He talks about approaching God, coming into God's presence. Now, David here is indicating prayer. And uh, this psalmist is thankful that God hears prayer. I believe that all people everywhere try to pray to God. The Africans have their way of trying to pray to God, trying to get in touch with God. Now, they have various mediators, and we've probably worn out 1 Timothy 2.5. Does anybody know what that says? There's one God and what? One mediator. If you go to Zim, I could take you to a place called the Great Zimbabwe Ruins. And in the Great Zimbabwe Ruins, the people would come into this large enclosed area that was the king's residence, and then the king would take them to another area, and then there'd be a sacrifice offered, and then the witch doctor would take the sacrifice and take the meat from the sacrifice up to an outcropping, and then a bird, the great Zimbabwe eagle, would come down, and he would take this offering, and he would take that to the ancestors, and the ancestors would take it to God. Now start counting how many mediators you got there. You got the king, you got the sacrifice, you got the witch doctor, you got the bird, you got the ancestors, and then you got God, and hopefully God will hear their prayer. Boy, I'll tell you, people try to pray. But, you know, we, we can say that I can go to God directly. Man, that's one of the Baptist distinctives, isn't it? You ever preach on Baptist distinctives? You still a Baptist, brother? Amen. These people probably haven't heard preaching like this in a long time. I just wonder. You know, we have the priesthood of the believer. If I'm saved, if you're saved, you go right to God. I'm going to tell you, when you start traveling African roads, you start going out into villages... <laughs> Sometimes you are very, and many times you are very glad God is on your side. That God is there. How many times has that happened? And yet the believer is promised, Call unto me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. That's Jeremiah 33, 3. Jump over to the book of Luke. You say, let's get into the New Testament, brother. Okay, Luke, quickly, go there. Luke 11, we don't have all night. Brother Curtis back there said he had to go work for hy V after a while. 
He said he's leaving out at 7.30. I'm glad you have a clock on the wall. I forgot my watch. We could pretend like we're in Africa and just keep on going and going and going and going. Luke 11, verse number 9. Who's got that? Who's got it? One of you men, raise your hand and read it for us. All right, in the back, Brother Dave. Now, is that a promise or not? <laughs> is that a New Testament promise or not? That's a promise. Amen. Let's jump over to John 14. 14. I'll ask my dad to read that if he's got his glasses. John 14, 14, Dad, if you'll find that. Read that for us. John 14, 14. We'll follow along. Lonnie, you don't have your glasses. All right. Who else has got it? Someone of you men read it. Okay, Brother Roger. Man, that's another promise, isn't it? Okay, let's go over to 15.7. If ye abide in me, if ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. First John, go to First John 3. First John 3. Verse number 22, 1 John 3, 22. And whatsoever we ask, man, that's plural. That sounds like a group. That sounds like a congregation, a church. Whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. Now, here's the question. Go back to uh, Psalm 65. Are you grateful the fact that God hears prayer? Man, you know, one of the blessings, Brother St. Lawrence, that I have experienced in coming back here. When you're on the other side of the big pond, and Africans don't know what a pond is, they, everything's a dam, right? But on the other side of the dam, on the other side of the big pond, a lot of times you hear the negative. And there's some negative going on over here, you know. I'm sure we could talk all night about that. But you know what's blessed me in coming back here is hearing the stories. And I use that word story not in a fairy tale way. If you say the word story in Africa, they think you mean something that's not true. So when you talk about a story in the Bible, I was teaching a guy one time, and I said, now in this story, he says, I didn't think it was a story. I thought it was a true account. I said, well, it, it, the word story can mean true. Or, but anyway, one of the stories that I've, liked, I've heard in just about every church we've been in is a layperson stand and give testimony about how God has answered their prayer even though they lost their job. Don't have this income, don't have this money, don't have this resource. But to see that, man, that's a blessing. I'm grateful that God is a prayer-hearing God. You know, the Bible has much to say about prayer. It talks about answers to prayer. It talks about our posture in prayer, failure in prayer, commands to pray, importunity in prayer, times to pray, power in prayer, and many, many prayers that are recorded and many prayers that are answered. I'm grateful for a hearing with God. Let's go back to Psalm 65 if you're not there. Let's look for a second. Matter which the psalmist was grateful for. Psalm 65, now the end of verse 4. Remember, we stopped reading with the middle of verse 4, so pick it up in the middle of verse 4. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of thy house, even thy holy temple. The psalmist was grateful not only for a hearing with God, but grateful for the house of God. David is speaking about a literal building here, a literal temple, a literal house. We have what we call the house of God, but you and I know, you've been taught here by this preacher, 
that this building is not the church. If this building burned down, you'd still have the church here, Grace Baptist Church. In the New Testament, the house of God is the church. First Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15 tells us this. Now, let me ask you this. Do you love your church like David loved the house of God? I mean, let me, let me just give you a hint there. I, I've been reading through some of the Psalms. Go to Psalm 73. Flip over there to Psalm 53. Or 73, I'm sorry. Psalm 73. You've got to see this because Psalm 73 is reading like... A modern-day newspaper, the Sheraton Herald, okay? <laughs> Is that what it's still called, the Sheraton Herald? Now, you read the newspaper. I don't care if it's the Des Moines Sunday Register. I don't care if it's the Sheraton Herald. I don't care if it's the Atomic Courier or whatever newspaper. You read that newspaper, and it begins to sound like, it's 73, look verse number 2. But as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped, for I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. There are no bands in their death. Their strength is firm. They're not in trouble as other men. Neither are they plagued like other men. Therefore, pride. And they just get proud about it. Therefore, pride compasseth them about as a chain. Violence covereth them as a garment. Their eyes stand out with fatness. They have more than heart could wish. And yet they're corrupt. And here's the wicked being blessed. And I can't figure it out, the psalmist says, until you get to verse 17. Until I went into the house of God. And then I understood, listen, you ought to be in church more now than ever before. That'll help you sort it all out. This whole mess of what's happening in the world, you better thank God. I'm glad to see you here tonight. Were you here this morning? How many of you were here this morning? Raise your hand, unless you're in Goshen. Okay. All right, wonderful. Now, you need to be here Wednesday night. We have service on Wednesday night, Pastor. We have service on Wednesday You need to be here, and you need to thank God for Grace Baptist Church. I don't hear any amens. You need to thank God for Grace Baptist Church. Amen. Pretty good. And I mean that. Don't just say it because I told you to say it. Now, thank the Lord. This I travel a little bit. It's hard to find a church where... Now, listen, brother. i got 60-some churches. There are probably... And I'm being serious about this. There are probably a handful of churches where I feel I could raise my family. You say, aren't they Baptist churches? Yes. Aren't they independent Baptist churches? Yes. Aren't they fundamentally independent Baptist churches? Yes. But I would not be real comfortable in raising my family in but a handful. That just goes to, you better be thankful for Grace Baptist Church. Now, you may not like everything that happens. You may not agree with all this. But you better thank God every day for the house of God that you have here. Listen, look at all the families you got here. Man, right in this section here, I don't know how many families you got. How many fathers here? Raise your hand if you're a father. One, two, three, four, five in this section. Is your wife here tonight? If your wife's here, raise your hand again. Now, listen, there's four. I don't have one family. In any of those churches over there. Outside of the pastor and his wife, and of course, Albert needs a wife. I don't have one husband and wife team. Not one. How many we got in this section? How many we got in this section? We're thank the Lord for it. You begin to complain and bellyache and murmur about, I don't know, like a pastor didn't preach about this week. Well, come back the next week. You know, maybe he'll get a good one off the internet from me or something. This isn't helping my support any. I can see that right now. You're going to be sorry you ever met me 30-some years ago. Boy, the psalmist said, I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I, you know what I saw? I saw something really neat out here. I've never seen it. Here was a sleeping bag outside here. Now, I don't know if one of you is homeless here tonight or something. When's the last time you ever said, boy, I'd just like to have church all night long? 
Oh, why can't I have church all Sunday long? Pastor, why, why do we have to stop with the evening service? Why don't we have it in Sunday school and Sunday morning, Sunday afternoon and Sunday? Why don't you do that? You know, the Africans love to do that. You could just be there all day preaching, teaching. <laughs> Psalm 26, 8, Lord, I have loved the habitation of thy house. Psalm 27, 4, one, th- one thing have I desired, Lord, that will I seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. I like having church. You say, well, you're the preacher. You know, you don't have to listen to it. Well... <laughs> You have an invitation right now. Psalm 84.10, a day in thy courts is better than a thousand. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. Far better to have young boys out door, open up the door, take the offering, than have them out there running around all night long. Psalm 122, verse 1, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Hezekiah found the house of God as a place of refuge. Micah found it as a place of instruction. Anna found it as a place of prayer. And the custom of the Lord Jesus Christ was to be in the house of God every worship day. Now, like Americans, and you know this, Brother Bauer, you know this, the people who attend church regularly are the ones who grow and glow and go for God. Now, if you're a hit and miss kind of an individual, and then you wonder why your Christian life is kind of mediocre, why it's kind of dead, why you don't seem to see prayers answered, maybe you need to get yourself a key to get in this house of God more often. At least come when it's already unlocked. We've found that out that Africans who will come to church and be faithful. Now, here's what they do. I don't know if this happens here. Okay, probably does. You know, really, truly speaking, it doesn't matter if you're an African-American. We're kind of all cut of the same cloth, aren't we? Some of the same issues you face here, some of the same issues we face there. But we found that the Africans are very devoted to, for example, let me just throw an illustration out here, a burial society. You say, what's a burial society? Well... When they get to be a young man and get into adulthood, they begin to become part of a group in their village. The men have a burial society and the ladies have their burial society. And if you're a man, you go to this burial society once a month. And as long as we've been there, I have found that the burial society, 100 men or so, always meet on a Sunday morning. Now, they'll meet at 8 o'clock. Okay, Sunday school starts at 10. You don't know how many times I have seen guys that are not in church, and they say, well, Maruti, I was at the burial society. And I say, well, what did you do at the burial society? Well, you know, we, we talk about, you know, who wasn't at the last burial society. And we talk about who wasn't at the funeral, who didn't help dig the grave and how much they should be charged for that. And we talk about who should buy the shovel for the next and I thought, well, eh, I don't know about you, brother, but when it comes to church business meetings, man, I can be through in about 10 minutes. I saw where your annual business meeting is coming up. You know, I don't know when that is, but damn, I could be through with that. I just don't like long meetings. They can talk for four hours on who's going to buy the next shovel, you know. 
I can't handle it. And I told these guys, I said, now, guys, listen. All right, you meet at what time? Eight o'clock until ten. I said, well, why don't you just stand up at ten o'clock? Just excuse yourself. They only meet under a tree. It's not like they got to get out of these gated walls or anything. Just walk away and say, I got to go to church. Why don't you do that? They're so devoted to that. They're devoted to burial societies. They're devoted to funerals. You wouldn't believe somebody might be missing church for months. And you say, well, I had a funeral this week and I had a funeral the next week and I had a funeral. The funerals are always on a Saturday or a Sunday morning. Now, in one province, they have, they have said that uh, we no longer can, they can no longer can have them on Sunday, so they have them on Saturday, so that helps church attendance. But these people are very, very devoted to their burial societies, to their funeral, uh, to their work. <coughs> and yet, those are the ones that if they just get to it, you say, well, what does Brother Albert do? And what does Pete Matete do? And what does Reuben do? I'll tell you what they do. Here's what they do. They don't go to the burial society. They send somebody to take their... Uh, what do you call it, money that you would pay if you, dues, to take their dues, and they have to pay extra for not being at the burial society. But it's a blessing to say, God wants me in church. He doesn't want me at that burial society. They can talk about who's going to buy the shovel without me. <laughs> I thank the Lord for that, you know. Are you, are you grateful for the house of God? Thirdly and lastly, look at verse 5, back in Psalm 65. Look at verse 5. <laughs> Now, you're farmers, and so as we walk down through the rest of the psalm here, I want you to notice the number of references to creation, to farming. By terrible things in righteousness wilt thou answer us, O God of our salvation, who art the confidence of all the ends of the earth, and of them that are afar off upon the sea, which by his strength setteth fast the mountains, being girded with power, who stilleth the noise of the seas, the noise of their waves, the tumult of the people. He's talking a lot about water there, isn't he? Verse 8. They also that dwell in the uttermost parts are afraid at thy tokens. Thou makest the outgoings of the morning and evening, that'd be sunrise and sunset, to rejoice. Thou visitest the earth and waterest it. Thou greatly enrichest it with the river of God, which is full of water. Thou preparest them corn when thou hast so provided for it. Thou waterest the ridges thereof abundantly. Thou settlest the furrows thereof. Thou makest it soft with showers. Thou blessest the springing, the, the budding, the spring, uh, corn coming up. Thou crownest the year with thy goodness, and thy paths drop fatness. They drop upon the pastures of the wilderness, and the little hills rejoice on every side. The pastures are clothed with flocks. The valleys also are covered over with corn. They shout for joy. They also sing. It sounds like he was sitting in Lucas County when he wrote that. Wow. You know what I think he's thankful for? Not just a hearing with God, not just the house of God, but for a harvest from God. I think he's thankful for a harvest from God. In verses 8 through 11, we find the God of the harvest. Then we find the greatness of the harvest. But God is involved in the harvest. These pictures up here, these various individuals, you see, it's a God of the harvest. It's God who says, sends forth laborers into whose harvest? Did you ever read that? His harvest. It's His harvest field, and we're just humble workers for Him. You're just helping keep us there and get the gospel out. But it's the God of the harvest. But notice the greatness of the harvest. He talks about the seed here. Now, how can you have a harvest if you don't have seed? How can you have a harvest unless you don't have seed? 
I go to all these different villages, and at least we have seed. At least we have some gospel tracts, gospel booklets, some New Testaments, some Bibles. That's what we're trying to do. We're just trying to sow down, you know. Uh, I, I can't get to all those villages and start a church in every village. There nine hundred. I mentioned a thousand villages in the northern province. You know, we have we have two there. You know, we got nine hundred ninety-eight to go. I can't do that in my lifetime. I wish I could, but I can't. It's impossible. Even with all my boys, if God called all my boys back to Africa, there's no way. I talked to a, a fella. He's a, he's a white Afrikaner who was saved over there and discipled by a man who went as a missionary there some years back. I talked with him when I was over there on a survey trip in, the, in June of 2001. I had not been up to the northern province. And as I talked to this man, he said a hundred missionaries could go to the northern province and never run over each other. I thought, ah, he doesn't know what he's talking about. Until I went to the northern province and drove around, I think he's right. We've got to sow the seed. The seed is the word of God. Mark chapter 4 and verse 14 says, Psalm 68 verse 11 says, The Lord gave the word. <laughs> great was the company of those that published this. This great God of the harvest has given us seed. We've got to sow it. We've got to. We don't have much time. Jesus is coming. People are dying and I'm dying. I don't have much time left over there. Where are the young people? Ah, I'm going to be in IT. Forget that internet technology. Let the lost person do that. Sell out to God. Surrender to God. Serve God with your life. What's wrong with that? Why not say, Lord, here am I. Send me God. Whatever it takes, I'm going to go this direction until you shut the door. And if God shuts the door, then you go this direction. If God shuts the door, you just keep trying doors. I'll tell you what, God will see your heart and say, you know, that guy's really serious. I think what happens, young people say, I want to serve the Lord. And they come up against a little bump. Oh, well, okay, I guess I tried that. I'll go be a chef. I'm not against chefs. I like to eat. You can tell that, okay? But listen, young people, consider that. Seriously, consider that. I thank the Lord. My parents said, listen, if you go to Bible college for one year, we'll pay your way. That best thing my, wife, my mom and dad ever did to me. If you'll go to Bible college for one year, we'll pay your way. And God just directed, and I've already told you. God led your pastor and led me, and one thing led to another, led to another, led to another, led to another. God is the God of the seed. God is the God of the showers in verse 9 and 10. It says that He visits the earth and He waters it. It talks about the river of God is full of water. Thou waters the ridges in verse 10. You know, one thing we've noticed about coming back here to the States is that the rivers have water in them. You say, don't the rivers have water in them in the... In Africa, well, when it rains, if you ever look in the back of your Bible, if you have some maps back there and it says W-A-D-I, a wadi, you say, what's a wadi? I didn't know what a wadi was. So I learned it from a book. Oh, it's a dry riverbed. <laughs> what good is a dry riverbed? Well, when it rains in the rainy season, then that river fills up and the water comes down through there, and then two hours later, it's dry again. You say, that doesn't happen. It does happen. Come, I'll show you some. But here in America, my kids said, Dad, there's water in the rivers. That's God who sends the water. And when you pray over the seed, God waters that seed. Water is mentioned more than any other thing in this passage. here. That is the Word of God. That is tears. That is prayers. But like many drops of water, it's got to come often. You need to take these prayer cards. You need to take prayer cards to other missionaries. I'm thankful that on the, I think it was on the back of today's church bulletin I saw a missionary prayer letter. You know what? These flags, you know, prayer cards out there and things like that. You know what? 
That's a heartbeat of God. You want your heart to beat with God, then you better think about other people. And you better think about the lost and dying. Around you and all across the world, six and a half, six point six or seven billion people, most of them dying and going to hell. How many of you have a scanner in your house? Let me see your hand. You got a scanner? You know what you gotta do with that scanner? You gotta do that scanner. Here comes the name. Man, that person needs prayer. Pray for that soul. Here's the ambulance. I wonder if that person's saved. Oh, God, if that person's not saved, don't let them die until they get saved. Here's the a, here's a police arresting this guy who maybe is uh, weaving all over the road. He's a drunk. Don't laugh about it and don't pride yourself. In fact, if you don't drink, I'll say, oh, God, save him. His liquor's taking him to hell. Use that scanner as a missionary prayer prompting. Across the county or across. My dad says he sometimes can reach Davenport. You can pray for the whole state, people across the state. Do you ever think about that? Man, lift up your eyes. Look on the fields. There's a harvest out there. There's seed. There's showers. Look at the soil in verse number 10. Thou waterest the ridges thereof abundantly. Thou settlest the furrows. The furrows, that's the soil. We're dealing with all kinds of soil over there. Mark chapter 4 says there's wayside soil. That's the hard stuff. We don't have a lot of wayside. We have some. We have some. You come with me to Bulawayo, city of one million people, let's go down to the bus and taxi rink. Let's take a box of gospel vehicles. Let's take tracks. I'll guarantee you we'll run out and people will still be there wanting more. We don't have that wayside soil. What we do have is a lot of stony ground and a lot of thorny ground. And that's why charismatics and emotional type of ministries will fit in there because people like that. And they'll make a they'll make a. Now, make decisions. And that's, I'll tell you, that's what we struggle with. You want to pray about something? Pray God gives me wisdom. Because as we deal with souls, you never know really what's going on in that man's heart. You don't know it here. We don't know it there. But sometimes they seem so receptive. And then after a time, a year or so later, they walk away. And you say, man, was the guy ever saved or not? It seemed like he was so genuine. They're a very emotional type of a people. That's why we do our Bible studies because we want them to, you know, there's got to be some understanding. Isaiah 118, there's got to be some reasoning, okay? And so we try, to, we try to reason, we try to sow that seed, we try to water that, we try to make sure that they have an understanding so that when they make a decision, it's the best decision that, that can be made for the Lord. But there's the soil. But then in verse 10, there's also the springing up. The springing up, that's when it comes out of the ground. But then in verses 9 and 13, he talks about the, the sheaves that are covered with, with corn. God's responsible for that. The seed, the showers, the soil, and the springing up. So the psalmist is grateful for a hearing with God and the house of God and a harvest from God. I was challenged last Tuesday night in a Thanksgiving service. Tuesday morning, I guess it was. I was in chapel with my family up at the old Bible company. And uh, Brother Loggins, you know Bob, Bob challenged the students there. He said, you need to take time today and get alone with God and just pause and stop and thank God. Because, you, know, you, you know, if you don't do that, like I said, it's the, first, it's the first step down in your spiritual life. God has blessed us so that God gets glory, not for us just to, you know, break our arm, pat ourselves on the back and say, well, I'm this wonderful person and that's why I got all these blessings, you know. No, we need to be thankful to God Almighty. And so I took that challenge, and I said, man, I, and you know, I was embarrassed. I was embarrassed. I couldn't remember. I could not remember. This is sad. Hey, confess your faults to one another. 
I couldn't remember the last time I had just taken my prayer time just to thank God. Now, I used to do it on a regular basis, but I could not remember the last time I did. And I got on my face before God, and I said, oh, God. A lot of times our prayers are nothing but, God, give me this. God, give me that. You know, I'm a gimme, gimme brat. You know, all that. God, 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 I need this, I need that. Now, now listen. When's the last time you just got on your face before God and said, thank you, God. Thank you. When it comes to your admissions. You thank God for your missionary family? You thank God for faith promise? You use faith promise. You thank God for faith promise missions? You thank God for missionary zeal? You thank God for this church? Thank God for your pastor? You thank God for your brother and sisters sitting in the people? Maybe you sit over here. I'm not going to sit over there. That person. Ow, that person. Why you? You ought to thank God for one another. When's the last time you just spent a half hour? Can I say, oh, I could? Yes, you could. You just start. You remember old Buff Davis? Buff Davis, he was a vice president of Maranatha years ago. And, and uh, a kid came to him and He's just complaining about everything. And so the vice president said, he sent him home and he said, now you write down ten things you're thankful for. Kid came back the next day, he'd written down ten things he was thankful for. He said, okay, now I want you to take that list home and I want you to add to it. I want you to add a hundred things to that list. A hundred things. Kid went home, came back. Man, he didn't have any lead left in his pencil, you know. Writing down all these things. Thankful for. He says, okay, now tomorrow I want you to come back with one thousand things you're thankful for. Boy went home, found a thousand things he's thankful for. I mean, he's thanking God everything from the lead and the pencil to the eraser to page and a word and ink. I mean, English. Thankful for English. Can you imagine being thankful for English? Grammar? But hey, I'll tell you. Yeah, we, we, we may have a lot to complain about, but we got a lot more to be thankful for. And the psalmist was thankful. Are you thankful tonight? Let's bow our heads. Close our eyes. Heavenly Father, tonight, across this auditorium, probably there's some like me last week that had not taken time to say thank you, O God. We have um, too often been a complaining lot. God... May I speak on behalf, I, I really can't, but may I speak tonight on behalf of those here tonight that have found themselves to be a little grumpy, not really thinking about the harvest and the house of God and even for prayer. I believe you orchestrated prayer to enable us to come. Thank you. House of God ought to be a grateful place. I'll be grateful for it. I'll be a place of blessing and thanksgiving to a great and mighty God. And then I wonder about the harvest. I wonder how many times we've really... Sometimes we just do our duty, Lord, I'm afraid. and We just kind of chuck our faith promise in, our offering, and we don't really thank for the opportunity to give or go or thankful for maybe those who are out on the field, prayer letters we get, flags that remind us of missions. <clears throat> I know, Lord, we sin in retail and confess in wholesale. We ought not to do that. But tonight, may I just ask you to forgive us for the ways that we have failed in this area. Maybe tonight, Father, in this invitation time, maybe there's some that need to come and be grateful. And maybe there's some here, Lord, that have never been born again by the Spirit of God. There is not a time, there's not a place, there's not an event when they remember you dealing with their heart and them surrendering.
with the conviction of the Spirit of God. Father, maybe they're young, maybe they're old. Maybe they're going to plan just to walk out these doors tonight and everything's going to be just the way it always has been. And This time next week, they'll be out in eternity. And they've never been saved. Oh, Father, thank you for the cross. I want to preach a message, Lord, on what missions involves. It involves a message and men and means, but I thank you. We've got the message. It's right here. Father, I have no doubt but what this pulpit thunders forth, the message of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ in salvation. And there may be people that have come for many, many months or years, never bowed the knee to Jesus Christ. I pray tonight would be the day of salvation in their life. Help them to see and understand, put it all together for them, that they are a lost, hell-bound, no-good sinner. They can't hide behind hypocrites. They can't hide behind their good righteousness because there is no righteousness that they have. If they die, they're going to have to have accepted Christ as their own personal Savior of their life. Deal with them tonight. And then deal with that person who's gotten a little backslidden, a little carnal, a little fleshly. (coughs) Maybe they've not been thankful like they should. Deal with them. Pray for dads to be an example here tonight to their children, to their wife, when it comes to confessing their faults, getting on their face before you, being what you want them to be so they can have a home that's made in heaven and a taste of heaven here on earth. Blessing this invitation time now in Jesus' name. Amen.